0: Today's episode is sponsored by Craftsy. Calling all crafters, are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up at craftsyoffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy premium membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 240 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about owning a yarn shop with my guest, Cadence Kidwell. Before Cadence opened her yarn shop, Fuzzy Goat, she was at Florida State University where she taught creative writing, multicultural literature, and designed a certificate program for students to develop cultural competencies. University Life instilled a strong core of service to people seeking to improve their lives. And one of her favorite pieces in her yarn shop is a service sign that is over the counter announcing that the team is there to serve. In her mid-50s, Cadence decided that she could either study on in her last decade of university life, or she could join the maker's life, make a business from a rough worn building and fill it with beautiful yarns made by strong women. Something she learned at FSU was the value of conversation among those that see the world differently. Something that used to happen at, say, a bowling league and is disappearing in our lives. So Cadence believes that knitting can create that space where conversation across generations and life experiences is valued and sought after. Cadence Kidwell, welcome. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Abby. Yeah, thank you for being here and for being willing to share your story. I think it's one that a lot of people dream of doing. So I'm excited to hear more about it. But I actually wanted to start with your first name because I've met Candice's. <laughs> but I've never met a cadence and I love that name. And I wondered if there was a story behind it. Well, there is a little bit of one. My dad
1: was in the military. So that's where, you know, that, that came from. And my middle name is Christina and my parents used that most of my life growing up. But then in my, um, as in my thirties, I think I decided, you know, I'm going to use my full name. I'm going to use my first name and, there's a lot of correcting going on and all that. Yeah, I'm but, sure, but yeah. it's a really unique
0: name and it's, <laughs> but that's, it's
1: that's fine. As long as somebody says it nicely, it's all it's all good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's cool. So I I hear a little bit of a southern accent in your voice. Were oh. you born and raised in the south where you live now?
1: Oh, that's really funny. We were just talking about that. No, I was actually uh born and raised in Miami. My my parents have a much more interesting story than I do. My dad was in the military, but he worked for Naval Intelligence in Cuba. And so they lived in Cuba and they had to leave in um, 1960. And so I was born in Miami and raised in Miami. But I've lived up here, up here <laughs> in the South, uh, most of my adult life. You know, I went to college at the University of Florida and then moved to North Florida, South Georgia after that. So okay. it is seeped in.
0: Yeah, it's funny how people um don't really associate Florida with the South. It's like, but anyway, they're like, are you from the South? No, yeah. No Southern South. accent. From, yeah. Living in Miami, there
1: was no southern accent. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah, so especially by Midwesterners. Raised by Midwesterners. But, by yeah. Midwesterners,
0: but yeah, yeah. North totally Florida. That yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So um I, how did you learn to knit or knit and crochet? Was that part of your family's? Life when you were growing up, or did you learn elsewhere? My mom was
1: a sewer. So she always liked sewing. She taught me to sew. I did a lot of that. And then when I was in graduate school and newly married and up in this area, I had um extra time on my hands and I decided I was gonna learn how to golf and knit. I don't know why those things occurred to me, but those were the two things. I found someone to teach me how to knit, and I can't golf to save my life. So I've been knitting really ever since then. And this woman started off with the opposite of what we would ever do, although it worked. She had me knit a cable cardigan, so in pieces, because she said, if I could do that, I'd know everything. I mean, she was right. And it was a one-on-one lesson over many months. Um, But it's funny because we wouldn't teach it that way.
0: Right. So did, did it end up being a wearable sweater? It was tight in some other, some places, but
1: it was the thing that made it not wearable is I used super itchy yarn. Uh So um, I I unfortunately didn't keep it around. I wish I did, but it had beautiful little cables in it. And I learned, I, I mean, right. You learn everything, piecing, seaming
0: patterns, buttonholes. Right. It's almost like jumping right into to sewing a formal dress or yeah. I don't know, like a pair of tailored <laughs> a, pants or something. Suit. Yeah. 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 That's that's an interesting approach. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what what were you studying um, both undergrad and in graduate school? What were you studying at that time? Um, you know, and, you and were... I go to school a lot because I really like school, but this, okay. I can tell
1: you, the business is the best school of all. Um, at that time it was psychology. And okay. I didn't plan to go straight through. But I didn't think anybody really wanted to see like a 26-year-old psychologist. So I kind of stopped and they got distracted and started doing creative writing and then went into literature. So it's, it's a very circuitous route, but like most of us, when we look back, we kind of see how those pieces made sense but they didn't make sense to anybody around me at the time.
0: Right, right. So so you went straight from undergrad to graduate school for a masters and then stayed on straight away for a PhD? Uh, no, that's when I stopped. Okay.
1: And so I did the I did the um undergrad and the grad school right away and got the masters and then I stopped and I started working in a mental health center. And then I uh had children and was doing that working there. And then eventually started taking a class in creative writing just at night. I didn't know you could go to school for that. Didn't even occur to me Um, and found that journaling, it was, it was a very, it was a really rewarding process. It was taking what I was doing with journaling and then making stories, shaping them and making stories and making more meaning out of them. And so that's how the whole, master's and PhD in creative writing and literature happened was from, okay. from there. Yeah. What was
0: the job like at the mental health center?
1: I did. I was fortunate enough to work a lot in prevention. So we did a lot in going into the school systems and working with them in prevention. And it was, okay. it was really great. It was very uh, rewarding and really right. satisfying. Yeah. Okay.
0: And how, did you want to like write a novel or write? No, you know, did I didn't get published. The funny thing is the, the, the story that I really
1: wrote a lot in my creative writing, I'd like that you could just, I just started writing stories about things that had happened to me in my childhood and it helped me make sense out of them. So I didn't really have like this giant novel idea, um, literally, but then when you're going to school in it, you for your PhD, you do have to write a novel. And the one I really, at that point, wanted to write was the story of my parents living in Cuba. I just found that fascinating. But that was the one story that I had. So after after I wrote that and did the schoolwork for it, and then the teaching, I loved the teaching. I love the teaching of the multicultural literature and all of that. Right, it sounds like the
0: the PhD really landed you in a spot where you were able to teach at a university level. And that was really something that you found to be really satisfying. Yeah, and I love that you said that um, service was a big part of your university teaching experience and the idea that people come to get a degree in order to improve their lives. So I'm wondering if you could Mm -hmm. say more about that. It just, you know, like you don't go there
1: unless you want your life to be different at the other end at some point. You know, that's kind of why you go to a university, whether you're taking one class or getting a whole degree. So really everybody there is kind of in service of that idea. I I've, I've spent time on the academic side and I also spent time on the student services side. And because we're surrounded by these students all the time, really of any age, not just the typical college age, uh, you start to see that they, everybody has dreams, you know, they have something that they want to achieve and they're, no one's really stagnant. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking for ways to uh, help keep them in school. You know, what are the support services that they need for that? Um, When I was uh, teaching an academic class, how did I need to design the class so that they got out of it what I wanted them to get out of it so that it wasn't it wasn't anything like grading on a curve or anything like that because I, I felt strongly about setting the standard. But then what architecture do I need to put in that so that they'll come out understanding these concepts?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted right. them to understand what we were doing.
0: Right. And so was the idea of having a creative business at the back of your mind that whole time or was there like an instigator where you were like, gosh, you know, I I visited this yarn shop and this is what I've always wanted to do or something similar to that.
1: I've always been, you know, go get your get your paycheck, work for, uh, you know, whether it's a nonprofit or a university, uh, have your benefits, do all of that. But uh, the last thing that I did at the university was designing the certificate program. So it was actually really entrepreneurial in that way. I had to work with uh, across a lot of different departments to do it. I had to work on different certifications to make sure that it was going to work out. And um that's when it started to light this idea of like, hmm, I wonder what that would be like. This that's when it kind of occurred to me. Then, you know, taking trips, going into yarn stores, uh one of my favorites is and was Fiberspace. And I think Danielle did a fabulous job of branding and making you just feel like you were part of an experience. And so that kind of inspired me. So I started talking to my friends in the business school and like, you know, do I do I need to go to school? And she was like, well, you probably, what you really just need is uh, the tutoring that they have over at the Small Business Development Center. No, you don't need to start from scratch and get a business degree. Um, so I started working with the Small Business Development Center, and they were the ones that said... Uh, give me assignments and help me figure it out. Gave me a lot of really great assignments, and at one point I'd done them all because I'm a good student. I like school, and they were like, "Okay, you know, you can go do this now. It's not an assignment anymore." <laughs> so, so what,
0: what? What were some? I'm curious. What were some of the assignments that they gave you? Did you have to write uh, a, like a business see.
1: plan or a yes, like absolutely, a writing the okay. business? Yep, working on the business plan, which is funny because uh, aside from trying to get some loans which I'm happy to talk about I don't think I've ever looked at it since or used it but the discipline I'm all about the process I'm you know I'm actually a process knitter also you know yes I want the product but the process has to be engaging and fun um there was that and then figuring out what how much I was what the cash flow was going to be like what the down months would be what the expenses would be. Uh, what the markup would be how many skeins of yarn did I think I could sell in a day I decided to open in Thomasville instead of Tallahassee where I was living Thomasville's about uh, 25 miles north and over the state line because it had a cute little place to to shop and visit and Tallahassee already had like four stores and I'm not a very competitive person and I cared about those stores and I didn't want to open up on top of them so I came up here to open and um, So looking at the demographics of the
0: area was also an assignment that they gave me too. Yeah, uh, I mean, those seem like steps that maybe some small business owners skip over because they're not, I don't know, this fun part, which is like ordering all the yarn, right? And like (laughs) setting up the decor and all of that part of it. Um, But, you know, looking at the demographics is a really important step and figuring out cash flow and planning for maybe the slow months, whether that's going to be, you know, where you are the winter, if there's less tourism, or for some yarn shops, it's the summer because people don't want to knit and and things mm-hmm. in the summer. So depending on on where you are, but um I and it sounds like you, you know, a lot of us write a business plan and we don't look at it again. I, I fall into that category myself. But um but do you feel like some of those steps were worthwhile, I guess, now that you've been in business for some time. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, having to do those things can be really
1: tedious and not that much fun. And sometimes that's the truth of the matter. So like, if you're not willing to do that when you don't even have any money on the line yet, I mean, I, this may not be for you because, you know, or even like the decor, I had to figure out how much I was going to spend on that decor too, because that's an easy place to get carried away.
0: Right. And way. so I, I agree with you that if you can see the the business planning part as a creative process in and of itself, um, and if you have the wherewithal to go through it and find it to be exciting and interesting, that's a good sign about where you're headed versus if you can't bring yourself to even begin that part, that might be a sign that you would be better off working at a yarn shop versus owning Mm -hmm. one, for example. I felt like there was a, there's a lot of obstacles. And I always felt that that
1: term lean in had just started to percolate at the time. And I felt like that was, it was like, okay, here's this boulder. Where's the path around, you know, what else can I do? What can I do? You know, I'm not going to just stare at that one. There's something else to be done. Mm -hmm. There's vendors, yarn dyers to talk to. There's what am I going to put the yarn in? Go look for cabinets there's mm-hmm. all, there was always something to do, but that budget did also drive things too. those
0: expenses
1: that I had to come
0: up with. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, so when you like talk about the time when you actually took the leap and told the university, look, I'm leaving after the semester, this is it. Um, you know, and it sounds like you also, leaned into your retirement savings, speaking of lean in and and cashed out some of your 401k and and really took kind of a a big leap here. Yeah. Okay. So um, it started by looking for a location.
1: So I looked at some places to rent in Tallahassee. I looked at some places to rent up here. And then um, at the time, so it's been, it's actually been nine years this week. uh, The there were some properties to actually buy that were in really bad shape. So I, I did look at the ones to rent, and um, but there weren't that many. And, and you want to be in a somewhat visible location that is not that big, and you want to be in the um what I call the fancy street, but I actually ended up on the cross street going towards it. Um, which is better for me because the, uh, the price of the building was better. And this block was really run down at the time. So I remember thinking, well, I've watched enough HGTV that I think anything can be fixed if you have the right contractor. And there, I was fortunate enough that in this uh, sweet little town there, there's a lot of resources, Abby, it's amazing. There's a Uh, a great, my graphic designer, but also at that time, I'm thinking of my uh, retail designer. So she kind of knew I was coming to town and she like grabbed a hold of me and she'd done a couple other stores and a couple other restaurants. And she's like, you know, this is the contractor you need, and this is how I'm going to help you. And um, so that was really worthwhile. I'm a big believer in getting the right people to help you. You know, I kind of feel like one of my uh, superpowers is knowing who to hire to help me out and get me to the next step. So at that point, Jack, you know, we found this building and we got the contractor working on it. And we, once we got all the approvals for the historic and all of that, that's when I knew I had enough of a timeline that I told the university, like, okay, this is when I'm going to keep working, but I'm giving you like three or four months notice. So I, I did not do any of the renovation. Any that's not my skill. I kept my benefits, <laughs> I kept all that as long as I could. And then I um so it was it was a little scary as the time, as the time approached. I had the yarn delivered to my house you know, that we were gonna have. And again, I remember at some point we were getting it all ready. And Jackie, the retail designer, said, you know, you can open in a week now. So again, with me at the process, but I need somebody to say, like, okay, it's time now to start selling this stuff. And mm-hmm. So that was, it was exciting and and a little terrifying. Uh, So yes, gathering up the money to do that. um, I could not get a loan on the business. I could get a loan on the building, but nobody thought that the business was enough collateral. So I had to, yeah, I had to cash in a lot of assets that I had and things like that. Um, At that particular time, I hadn't cashed in Um, my 401k, but I had cashed in. uh, um, We sold a car. I used credit cards. I borrowed some money from my mom. And that's what got us the inventory and to to pay Jackie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I didn't have any any, uh, team. It was just going to be me that was working there. But then um, as a little side note, um, the building next door the guy who owned that, he came over. He said, you know, you paid $5,000 more for your building and I wanted it. I was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. Although why am I saying, I'm sorry. I'm really glad I got it. You know, he says they really need to be together and they are their mirror images of each other. He said, so I need more space. So I'm going to move. So you can buy, you could buy this for me. And I just laughed. I'm like, I got nothing. I was like, well, I do have one, I do have my 401k, which they don't want you to cash in. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of paperwork that you have to sign for that. So that I can do, this was in the fall. I can do it. I'll do that, Jay, if I can cash, if you can wait till January, because I can't do anything else in this fiscal year. So um, that's what I did. So I cashed in my 401k, um, much to everybody's horror, even my husband. And I bought that building because it was an investment. And in, so I bought I bought the building I, I have, but I have a mortgage on that. I bought that one flat out. So don't have a mortgage on that. And it was an investment in what else was gonna come into this block because we're a developing block. And, and I'm so glad I did because I had people that wanted to open a fast tax place there. And somebody wanted to, run a taxi service. I mean, we're a small town. We don't even need it. I mean, just things that were not going to bring people down the street. It was not going to be a good investment for what I'd already put in here. Um, and I have to say that has really paid off that, that the rent that I make off of that helps pay the mortgage on this space and, and more, and it's more than my IRA would have ever made.
0: What's in that space now?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. I left that part out. Um, So what's in there now is a bagel shop and it is owned by the cutest couple. So I get to be a part of their story and, and support them. And uh, the, the people, all that I mean, in the original, it was like, oh, you're next to that yarn shop. And now it's like, oh, the yarn shop's next to empire bagel. You know, it is fine. I love it that, that it's known and John's originally from New York. So he makes, Great bagels, and they're just this cute couple that I really love to kind of be a a part of their story
0: too. Today's episode is sponsored by Craftsy, and here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more. Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you get a full year of access to over 2000 premium full-length classes and projects across over 20 crafts and hobbies. It can be challenging to know where to go, to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you are an experience maker and looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their fields. With over 2000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. So visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy premium membership for just $1.49. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now back to my conversation with Cadence. Yeah, and I think that it's really interesting. I I spoke with... Um, the folks who own Shack Spindle out in um, yeah. Boulder, Colorado, which I was able to visit last summer. Um, and one of the parts of their story is very similar, which is to say they bought the building. When they, when they founded the company, they also bought the building. And buying that building was a really important part of their financial success. Um, and I think people could think about that as an idea where if you by where you are, and even maybe by the place next door, if you can, um, you're able then to control what's there. And I mean, I think financially, the way that you arranged it, it really worked out well for you. I wonder whether you are, you consider yourself to be a risk tolerant person or a risk averse person. I'm very risk averse. And so for me, I would look at that and just be so scared to cash in my retirement savings and invest in something like this but you did it so i don't know whether that was typical of you or whether that was unusual for you to to do something that was risky in that way i i think i am i'm pretty risk tolerant i mean like i can
1: tolerate a fair amount of risk but i i'll say a part of this story is My husband still had his job at that time. So it wasn't completely without any safety net. And at that point, I had already invested so much into this. I mean, I already made that other huge, gigantic risk of coming here and doing that. Um, Had I known what I'm about to say, I don't know if I would have taken this risk, which was about five months after that, my husband got downsized out of his job. And so that was not part of the plan. So there was then no more health insurance. Uh, We really couldn't make the mortgage on, um, on the house that we lived in anymore. That was not going to happen. We didn't necessarily need that much space anymore, but it was, you know, it was home. So we had to sell that. We had then make a decision. And by then I'd invested so much. I'd I was like, am I gonna go back and try to get another job? I mean, what am I, you know, is somebody gonna hire me now after I've said, like, I've done this? I don't know, I wanna come. So we we just had to really double down. So we sold our our house. Um, and we bought a because I renovated this, which was so awful, I bought another really awful house four blocks away, used the same contractor and he made, I mean, it's it's a thousand square feet, it's cute as can be. Part of it's from the 1850s and so we've really upended things in ways that, I mean, I thought just starting the store was the big risk. I didn't know all this other stuff, but I'd, I'd made all this investment and this was who I had become was this store owner. And so this is what we decided to do. I think it was yeah. hard on the kids to give up that house, but they didn't live there anymore. Um you know, then COVID happened and it would have been like, maybe it would have been nice to have had space for some of the adult kids to have a place to live. And that was kind of painful. But at Thanksgiving this year, we figured out a way to have all of us in this small house. We have this long table. My daughter is now married to a woman she taught to knit that she would not have met Natalie if we hadn't had the store. My um, older son is bartending at one of this, fabulous restaurants down the street at a job he wouldn't have had if we didn't have the store. And is with an amazing woman who met him there. And then my middle son is working at the music library and he got that job because the, um, Dean of the music library is a knitter and came in and just happened to ask how miles was doing because he's a music major and she had this job opening. So, um, I can right. look at some of the things I've given up that I might give, cause me a little twang every now and then, but then I look at all the things I've gotten and I really, I wanted this adventure. I knew that, you know, I was 10 years at that time away from retirement. I love travel. My husband likes the idea of it, but he's not that, when it comes push, to shove, he's a little bit like, I'm not so sure about, so I needed a big adventure that was going to consume me and not make me be. Like, okay, well, where's the next trip we're going on that you don't want to go on? So um, right, this is is more than achieve that goal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge adventure and I love to think about it that way. I think if you have the attitude that this business is an adventure, it helps you to be flexible um, and sort of keep your hands in the sandbox and be playful and interested instead of feeling burdened or annoyed because you can certainly fall into that trap as well, because there's a lot of things about business that are hard and annoying and burdensome yeah. at times. And so I think if you can have that almost that travel um, adventure mindset, it's it's very helpful, um, you know, when those hurdles are are coming your way. So, um OK, so so let's I mean, it also I was going to say, like the fact that you live four blocks away makes you mm-hmm. now somebody who lives right in town. And I think is also, especially for a smaller town yarn shop, a very nice thing because you're, you know, a citizen, a taxpayer, um, you know, a business owner, a resident, and and you know, y- y- you feel everybody's pain the same way as you know, as the oh, yeah. regular people who live right nearby who are your customers. So um so talk a little bit about um Thomasville, Georgia. So obviously it's it's fairly close to to the Florida border. Um why do people come there? Is there a tourist? Um, you know, sort of infrastructure there where people are visiting for for various things, or no, or who who are your customers at this yarn shop at Fuzzy Goat?
1: So Thomasville is just amazing. And I learned a lot about it by immersing myself in it and starting to go to um, uh, city commission meetings and things like that because I wanted my street to be. Uh, learned that there was funds for it. So I wanted my street to look as good as the fancy street. So I became much more of a community advocate that I never in a million years thought I'd be going to city commission meetings and talking about it. But Thomasville's really special because uh, before Flagler built the railroad that went all the way down to Miami and the keys, the sub, the most Southern railroad stopped here. So we have a long history of a lot of influx of people going back and forth from the northeast to here. So there's um, a lot of ideas and a lot of um, resources that came down because of that. Then there's a lot of large landowners around here that have kind of preserved their land. So it's a very uh, land conservation idea so that you can see a lot of nature here also. So the city's, the town is kind of landlocked and can't get super big and expansive because of this large amounts of um, privately held, but land conserved idea Mm -hmm. all around us. And so that kind of informs us to a lot of people like to come here from the Northeast and do quail hunting Um, So there's kind of a a hunting idea around here that we as a shop uh, don't embody, but kind of play with. So we have like that knitted taxidermy and things like that. So we kind of um, poke a a gentle fun at it. Uh, But everything you need then is still in Tallahassee if you wanted to go over there. So we also have a lot of old historic homes. My husband's now become a tour guide. He likes to go and do that. We have, we do have fabulous restaurants. One of them is called uh, Sweetgrass Dairy and they have cheese that's all over. It, you could probably go to Denver, Chicago. You can see their cheeses on the menu. So there's a real, because it's that kind of small town and there's some resources, they've done a lot to support the small town, the the businesses in this town too. So that's, you can see a lot more, I think independently owned businesses. A lot of them got started by people in their thirties where the town just really rallied behind them and wanted to keep them going. They have a really great facade grant too, where they want to make sure the businesses look good. So they give you half back of what you spend and and improving the outsides of your, of your area. Then of course the weather. I mean, I'm looking outside now. It's just beautiful. There's a little breeze and all of that. So
0: yeah, so, those are, those um, would be some reasons. Yeah. When you thought, think about inventory, at least in those early days, I mean, you've been in business mm-hmm. now nine years, so you've got a lot of experience under your belt, but when you think about in those early days, like what you decided to buy, and, you know, everyone loves to use this word curate um, to, to sort of put on the shelves in the beginning. How did you think about that and and what you wanted, you know, to, to have for sale? And I wonder, I'm sure early on, there were probably some big mistakes. I mean, we all make big mistakes. <laughs> um, but, you know, where you bought a whole bunch of X, Y, and Z, because you thought it would do well, and it totally did it and kind of, you, you know, had to correct the ship in some way. So, so yeah, let's think about a little bit about stocking the store in the beginning. Well, in the beginning, I think like most yarn shop owners, you think I'm going to get the yarns
1: I like. So there was a lot of that and the yarns that I like to knit with. Well, not everybody wanted to knit with the same yarns I wanted (laughs) to knit with. Um, They were um, maybe a little too itchy for the South and I things like that Uh, it's funny that you said that because I the first big sale that I had I called it yarn I bought before I met you so it was all the yarns that I had made the mistakes with and I didn't know like I would go with a vendor and some of them I'm still with and I'm happy to do that and love carrying their yarns but I went with more more wide across various other bases before I figured out which ones really did well for us okay so what works um so what does work for us what does work for us now versus pre-covid Really, meaning pre website are two different things, okay? All right, (laughs) because now we're now we are uh we really are sending yarn all over the country. But when when I was completely dependent on people coming in, uh, linen worked really well, yarns and what also still works really well for us is yarns with some silk content is, is really nice. I personally love that, I love the drape in that. There's several. Yarns that we carry, uh, Emma's in particular, and farmers, farmer daughters, farmers, farmer daughters fibers. I always put the S in the wrong place. I'm sorry. Um, We can just take that part out. Uh, So, yarn with some silk in it really helps a lot and and still do. Thinner yarns, we do better with um, fingering, not so much with bulky unless we have a specific hat project things like that but natural fibers i mean that's something that matters to me so that's something that we've we've pretty much stuck with all the way through
0: okay yeah i love the idea of a sale of um yarns i bought before i met you i think that's that's really funny and do you and we're going to talk about covid and the transformation that covid had for your business um but um do you carry local you know, products in some way or things that you can only get if you come to Thomasville or come to Fuzzy Goat, or maybe not only, but really are featured local makers or local dyers in some way. So
1: we do really try to stress Southern dyers so that we can, because there's, although we are very fortunate that there is a dyer in Tallahassee that we work with very closely. She would Come and shop with me a little bit. I didn't ask her very much because she did die for one of the stores in Tallahassee, and I was very aware of not wanting to carry the same things and and do all that because I do rely on a lot of those customers also. That that is probably half my um, in person customer base. But that store has since closed, and so we have Knitwise Fibers dying for us a lot. She'd do a lot of really big events for. Us. She's uh, doing a big pop up for us for local yarn shop day. And we're very fortunate to to have her. And she doesn't dye for very many other stores. So that's a big part of who we are. And then we kind of expand the circle from there to just feature southern dyers. So they're not ones that you wouldn't get anywhere else but here, but we really like to highlight them like copper corgi. She, Sarah's the first one to dye us a custom color and Um, We've worked with her from almost from the beginning. I remember going into a store in North Georgia and seeing her yarn and, and her custom color for them. And I'm like, oh my God, do you think we could ever get one? So just, just the fact that we now have three is really fun. And uh, Emma's Yarns and then Ryan's in Athens. And we, we're we very liberal with the definition of Southern. I mean, we include feeder That's all the way up in Maryland and neighborhood fiber co also mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Technically, Maryland is considered the South. So we do really like to feature Southern dyers and then have custom colors when we can. And then the same thing with bag makers. We have some bags that come from Athens um, and also um, down in central florida and treasure who makes our central florida bags she'll use our logo so again they're not ones that you could only get here but we try to have a a version of it that you could Mm -hmm. only get here we've experimented with some other local made things but because there's other places in town to get them and they can do that better we're happy to send them there
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, do you ever do events where you're working with other either retailers or restaurants or whatever in town where you're kind of collaborating in any way? Is that ever part of what you do, you know, where you're featuring their cookies at your show or whatever it might be, you know?
1: Yeah, and I love doing that. So we do have a birthday celebration for every month um, if if you're a customer and it's your birthday. And so we get cookies from Empire Bagel next door. John will make the cookies. in our subscription boxes, we try to put local things in it. So I've had honey, uh, Tupelo honey. And then we have a fabulous chocolate shop here. And they make a lot of different chocolate things for our Valentine box and also our Christmas box. And uh, then other times we've done uh, book, audiobook collaborations with the local bookstore. And Annie and I meet together every other month and we're always coming up with what else we can do together. And we had a great Bed and breakfast here where we had our retreats, but that is now in private hands. So we're kind of trying to revamp how we might do that. But when we have that, we often the swag bags include coupons to those other favorite restaurants and
0: right. stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I, I love the I remember Danielle of Fiberspace telling me one of her favorite things was not just owning the store, but working with her downtown Alliance. And that information just sealed the deal with me wanting to be here. Um, because there is that small downtown alliance that y- you can be a part of,
0: right? And I think that's a really important part of having a brick and mortar shop is working together with the other shop owners who are in your downtown. Um, and and it, I, I just think um, I've seen that be really successful and really helpful. So um, so that's great. So um, obviously, it sounds like before COVID, probably you had some kind of web presence. I'm imagining. But maybe not like super robust e-commerce, maybe wasn't so much part of the equation. I don't know. You can tell me. But um, but what did the kind of like online presence of Fuzzy Goat look like in March of 2020? We had maybe 20 things on there. We had our
1: uh, Katrinkles amazingly branded items on there. We had those one of a kind. That we had our classes on there, but we didn't a t-shirt. We didn't have there very many things. Okay. Um, And was it,
0: is it Shopify or is it a different platform?
1: At that time, it was a different platform and it was beautiful. My branding agency that did my logo and everything that's local. It was exquisite. I loved it, but it, it, it couldn't grow very well. I'm trying to remember what it was. It might've been WooCommerce at the time. Okay.
0: All right. So that's where it was. And then all of a sudden the world shuts down Um, so what did you do at that time? I mean, (laughs) obviously, you know, we were all in a, in a panic, um, but you've got all this inventory, you've got bills to pay, um, nobody can come into the store and you can't have your employees or anything there. So, so what happened? Um, so I'm going to back up just a second to say, One of
1: my things that really support me a lot is I have a retail coach. I work with a a group and we have a mastermind. And so that gave me a resource like, okay, what are, what are we all doing? What are we going to do? And so one of the small things I did that turned out to be a big thing was doing Facebook lives. It's not my nature, but I've grown into it. And because I had to get over myself, I, like you just said, I had, nobody could come in. Nobody could see anything. Uh, Kathy had given us a, a the, our retail coach had given us some resources of how to do those most successfully and <laughs> wear lipstick because they're going to be looking at your mouth and things like that. Uh, and so we came up with doing the Facebook lives, but then I needed a way for them to buy it. I mean, in, initially they would say in the comments that they want it. And then I'd send them a PayPal it was painful and very laborious, but yet I was really grateful because we were, we had something that we could do. And so eventually I had to redo the website. So that was, and get a different website and then get everything on there. And now we've got like, I mean, there's maybe 5%, maybe five items that aren't on the website. And now we're shipping to every state and it's it's a huge part of our business now. In fact, I don't know that I've gotten back all of my walk-in traffic, a good portion of them buy online and then come in and pick it up. But um,
0: yeah, so I don't you, I don't
1: something we're really trying to work on is finding we don't have the same robust in-store group that we had before. and I and that's something that's we're trying to work on.
0: When you think about the proportion of sales um, that were e-commerce versus in-person prior to the pandemic versus now, do you have an estimate of what the percentage is? It sounds like maybe prior to the pandemic, it was something like 95% were in-person
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe purchases. maybe 10% because they were buying the classes online. You know, okay. we, didn't, we didn't offer the class online, but they signed up for the class online. <laughs> so maybe 10%. Today, it's 60, 70% mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
0: huge. And, yeah. and so are you on Shopify now? Or now well, we're on Shopify. Okay, yep. right. So you made that transition. Um, what about um, email? Were you doing a lot of email newsletters prior? Or do you do email newsletters now? I
1: did do it prior. Um, and I uh, sent one out once a week and I used Emma as a platform. I loved it then, but Emma didn't sync up with Shopify like Klaviyo does. So now I use Klaviyo and I send out three emails a week and maybe at least one or two text
0: mm-hmm. a week. So you're doing SMS marketing as yep. well over text. Yep. And mm-hmm. has that been effective for you? It has been. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's worth That's it. Right. It's worth it to me. I love the way Klaviyo will show you how much that how many sales you got from that one email? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you really upped your e-commerce game from using oh, yeah. some tools that were hard to navigate, didn't sync up, et cetera, to really pro tools between Clavio and Shopify and you're doing SMS marketing, and that's really much more sophisticated side of tools in your, in your tech stack now that you have. So, which is, which is really interesting. And you had mentioned earlier that um, oh, first of all, I wanted to, to mention Kathy from retail mavens, who's your, yeah. your coach. So just give a shout out to her and we'll link to her in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So she's, she's great. And, um but, uh, but you mentioned a subscription box and I've mm-hmm. talked to quite a few um, yarn shop owners uh, and also just subscription box owners for whom this has become a huge part Their business. So, so was that something that you'd always wanted to do, or who suggested it to you, and how did you get it started?
1: Well, absolutely. I got that the idea because I was a part of Kathy's Retail Mavens. And uh, I've made good friends with uh, Janet Avila of String Theory in Glen Ellen, outside of Chicago. And she has a box of light. And so we talked about how she does that. Hers is really just a wonderful, warm, lovely hug for the that time of the year, and how she does her subscription box that goes out in uh, that's intended for December. So I based mine on that and went in a different direction, and we call it Box of Goats. Uh, funny thing about that is I cannot call it that on Facebook because it thinks I'm selling livestock, <laughs> so... We have, we have a lot of things in there that have uh, our brand on it. And, um, and, and then there's a project and we work with Emma's Yarns on that. And Laura Dobratz will write the pattern for it. And Emma's Yarns will make all the little minis for it. And we launched that in August. So I don't know that it's something that I thought about ahead of time until I had heard how Janet had done that. And we had had what at that time I thought was fabulous success. The first year we sold 26, mostly to local people. I was really excited about that. The last two years we've had to cut it off and we sell 500. So we're, um, I kind of think of the subscription box. So that's one sort that we sell. I think of the boxes in general as kind of our on-ramp to our, uh, loyal customers. They start with with a box, and we try to keep some sort of box in front of them so that they uh, they don't want it to stop. You know, like they'll, they get the they sign up for that. They get it in December, and then we have a Valentine's box that that we start to announce soon after that. I have a fuzzy fix box, which is uh, three three every other month. And uh, Leslie and Robinson helped me come up with that idea. She came to visit us, and she was our first. Uh, teacher that we had that we had hired to come and teach. And she said, you know, I come and she did all the patterns that first year and helped me come up with the name for it. And And the boxes have been so rewarding that we've now, I now work with Janet at String Theory, and also Sarah Keller of Not Another Hat. And the three of us, which I think is kind of unique, here we are in what could be competitive businesses. But the three of us, literally talk together every week on zoom and plan what is now called the good vibes yarn tour and so we work with dyers that um maybe we've worked with before in our stores but maybe not and uh we do what's called a show we get together and all the people that got that box have a um an experience together where where we kind of virtually visit the place that we're uh, going to this year where this fall this next box will be under the sea so it'll be really creative to come up with what, what places we're gonna visit under the sea. but we just finished doing route 66 and that was a lot of fun and we just did uh, the boxes are also another way to support a lot a lot of other small businesses. So we have the guy down the street from us uh, who uh, prints the t-shirts and he also did hats for us this year and then there'll be another, Um, candy maker or that Janet got these pink Cadillacs from that's a small little vendor and things like that. So (laughs)
0: this business has become very different, I think, from the business that you started with. I mean, you started by buying this very rundown building and having local people help you to outfit it. And renovate it and opening to the people that you met who came in and met you in person. And now you're talking about, um, you know, featuring places around the world, potentially, certainly around the U.S., collaborating with other yarn shop owners in very different cities and towns from where you're located, serving customers all over the place, um, certainly not just local Thomasville customers, although you're still working with local businesses, but um, but serving people all over the world. So and it, it really seems as though COVID was like the impetus for a lot of these changes. But I think I wonder whether you feel like without them, Fuzzy Goat would have survived over the long haul. You know what I mean? In other words, if COVID had never happened, I mean, who knows what the world would have been. But um, just thinking about sort of the changes that you had to make during that time, whether you feel like now, you know, those are the things that are going to, in the long term, make this business sustainable, maybe in a way that it wouldn't necessarily have been. I don't know if you agree with that, or you you think it just would have been different. I love that question, Abby, because I've, I've, you know, of course, thought of and been asked
1: the question, if you didn't do certain things because of COVID, would you have survived? But to think about where the business would be without COVID and without those things. I mean, because of the coaching, I was absolutely, we were growing. So I did not have any reason to think that we wouldn't continue mm-hmm. in that way. Right. Would it be as big as it is now? No, because I would have not thought about putting this much online, or would Janet and Sarah and I be that driven to think about um, reaching each other's customers and sharing together like mm-hmm. that? Th- those things. I'd, so I, I think it would have been sustainable, but I don't think we'd be able to do some of the things that we're able to do now
0: hmm. And how important has retail mavens or the coaching been to you? I mean, it sounds like it was really important, um, certainly early on. But you know, I, I know shop owners who are a little hesitant to invest in things like that, because it, it costs money to be part mm-hmm. of a mastermind group like that and be paid for coaching. Um, and and sort of feeling like, oh, I can't do this by myself, I have to, I need help, you know, and, and maybe feeling a little bit like, um, defeated about that. But but you really, I mean, it sounds like you're really good at delegating and you like to hire. Um, so maybe you didn't have that attitude at all, but but still there's a financial outlay to say like, I'm yeah. paying for expertise. So
1: this is a funny story how I even found them. Cause I didn't like, like, I didn't know you could go to school in creative writing. I didn't, nobody told me there was a retail coach. I had a rep come. And at the time there was yarn market news. And my rep had come and she said, you need to go to Yarn Market News. I said, I can't afford that. It's like $1,000 and plus I got to get there. She goes, oh no, it's in Atlanta this time. She says, you take that $1,000, you're going to spend with me and buy yarn and you go to Yarn Market News because that's going to be better for you in the long run. And I can sell you more yarn later on. So that's where I met. That's actually where I, I mean, like it's like the, they turned the lights on. <laughs> It's like that's when I met other yarn shops that I'm still friends with. And, and that's where I saw uh retail mavens and where Kathy had given this, this talk. And they have different points of which you can enter in terms of price. But my view on it is um it's her job to make sure I can afford her. Like I've already done the big risk, I've already taken this big leap. And by having somebody really helped me figure out my open to buy. And, you know, what are we going to do for this month? Cause it's going to be low and you're still going to have these expenses and all of that. Having that, that security is just invaluable to me that I've done the hard thing already. And so hiring her and, you know, they'll, they'll tell me that, you know, they're, this might need to be a little bit more, you know, in the next contract, I'm like, Whatever, I am fine because I can't imagine doing it without them.
0: Right, and I I think
1: I find the price. I find what I get back. um, You know, it's more than reasonable. I think we recently had our mastermind, and I remember saying where we were in person together, and I remember saying to somebody, "The amount that I spend on that, I would uh, easily not make that and more." If I didn't have it. Does does that make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I love that attitude of like it's her job to to make you be able to afford her. So yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I just think there's whether it, you know, whether it's it's that particular type of coaching or another type for for whatever business you might be in, yeah. I think there's so much value in um first of all in talking with your peers and just learning from each other and being generous yeah. with what you already know and what you've learned. Um, that's huge. I also think there's so much value too and going to something like the Yarn Market News conference that you went to um, in person and being able to, to learn in person. Um, huge, hugely valuable. So um so that's great. You know, I I think a great model for other people to hear about. I did before we get to your recommendations, I wanted to make sure. I asked you about these videos that you filmed with Matthew McConaughey because (laughs) you filmed, uh, I think three, Uh, there's three videos. Um, One of them is about COVID actually. And one of them is just about Fuzzy Goat. But um, I'm sitting here watching them being like, how does she know Matthew McConaughey? So there must be a story behind that. There
1: is. Okay. So one of the things that we do at our mastermind is we share like, Tools that we use. And so somebody along the way told me about using Homebase. Homebase is a scheduling software and now it's also my payroll software. Okay. So I love it. It's easy, it's fabulous. They can clock in, all that. Mm-hmm. One time along the way, they asked me if they could do a story about us. You know, the store is really colorful. It's, I mean, yeah. like all yarn and stores are. And so they did a little story. So somehow I got a little more on their on their radar. And then they called and said, or emailed, we want to do a video project. Would you be interested in that? I'm like, sure. You know, who's going to say no to whatever? You know, so um, they said, okay, so we're going to ask you these questions. We're going to do a Zoom. We're going to record it. And then we're going to see which ones get picked. So I did that. And then at the end of that, they say, okay, so this is now going to go to, um, I forgot what they said, somebody, you know, they said somebody famous, but it was like, it's going to go to somebody, they were to say somebody famous and they're going to choose. And so it wasn't until uh, maybe three conversations in that they said, so we have this investor and he wants to make sure that small businesses really get some extra help. And so we're going to send your video to Matthew McConaughey. I mean, I could not stop laughing. It's just like, are you crazy? You're just as you're pulling my leg. So they sent him like 25 of these videos. And he um he picked just just three. One was the taco shop, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I still would really like to eat at. And one was a roofer, and then our store. And so, so, that was how that happened. <laughs> the Zoom meeting. Um, they also came, not Matthew, but the team came, and then shot a lot of other additional great footage. Did some more interviews with me and all of that. But the the um, the real kicker was that day where they set it up with with Matthew. And the first thing he did was mispronounce my name. And so the first thing I did was corrective. And my family's trying not to laugh. And they're like over there in the other part of the store. And I was like, well, I couldn't have him keep doing it all the way through the video. <laughs> and he, he he was very easy to talk to. He was really friendly. If you see it, it's not a plug to watch it. But if you see it, you'll see that he actually is genuinely interested in small business and seemed genuinely interested in our story.
0: Yeah, no, oh, I thought so too. I thought he was that great was, that and, was and the, you were great. The most yeah. amazing gift. <laughs> yeah, you know, and one one thing I will say is, um, you know, check your email and <laughs> listen to your voicemail because uh, for real, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there and who, who never kind of keep up with their email or they never listen to their voicemail, you know, and it's like, there's a, there's, possibly Matthew McConaughey could be on the Matthew other end. McConaughey, right exactly buried in there so you really do need to kind of um keep up with it so that you can respond to opportunities <laughs> like this because had you never said sure I'll do a yeah. little video trial thing um it wouldn't have happened and mm-hmm. you know and but it did because you followed through, you, because you're good at school, right? You probably met all the deadlines that they were asking, uh, turned everything in on time, but did your homework. And, and so, you know, it it, it it happened, but it didn't have to happen. So, so I think that's great. So um, Cadence, I want to get to your recommendations. And um, you wanted to recommend a remarkable tablet. And I've actually never heard of that.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am a big bullet journal person. Okay. I've always been a bullet journal. I've got a stack of them. I can go, I've used the index. I can go, I can find my stuff and all of that. So the fact that I have turned my back on my bullet journal for my remarkable is huge. One of my customers came in using it one day and I was like, "What is that? So um, it's like a tablet, but, and, and you really can write, you write on it and it saves it and you can do an index And I can have folders and I can find my notes for things. It can turn it into handwriting. My handwriting is not good enough. So I really don't even bother with that. Um, And so I just got a new case for it. So So it kind
0: of, right. It kind of looks like an iPad, but it's mm -hmm. not an iPad. And it's just, you cannot get online with it. So you can't get distracted. Right. (laughs) And it's, and it's basically a way for you to keep a planner or a journal. Mm -hmm. And it syncs so that my stuff, so if I
1: do need to find it online, if I don't have it or God forbid, which hasn't happened, I lose it. All my stuff is synced Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I just love it. Uh, You can make templates. I'm I'm a huge planner. So I already have templates for each month and each week. And so I have that template and then I can just fill in the extra stuff that makes this week different from last Mm -hmm. week. Without mm-hmm. having to start over by making the same thing every week, right?
0: So that yeah. might be great for somebody who is still really devoted to their paper planner but wants something that syncs digitally. Um, so it's yeah. sort of almost an in between. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. I've never heard of it before, I so love I love that. Check it out. Yeah, good to know. Um, and then Canva, which you use for, I'm sure, graphic design, mm-hmm. but you you were saying have it loaded up with your brand colors and your font, the fonts that you use for your branding.
1: Yeah. And that just makes things look so much better than I really have the talent for. But Canva just makes you look like you just sent everything out to go have done ahead of time. So I've got just our color. So if I need a blue, I'll use our turquoise blue. And it just makes things more cohesive when they're in your, whether it's your email or in your uh, social media feed.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, that way you're not paying a graphic designer for everything. Certainly yeah. support paying graphic designers for big things and major things, um, like a rebrand, etc. But not well, having she lo- and they,
1: she loaded up my Canva for me. Right, she's the one that put those in there. Says here, I don't, I don't want to make your your uh, pop up post for you. Right, every here. little, right, yeah.
0: every little graphic yeah. <laughs> for Instagram or whatever. Yeah. you can be <laughs> empowered to do that and have it look professional. So that's great. Um, and then the last thing you wanted to recommend is the Funky Firebird bag.
1: Oh yeah. So this is part of just what I just love to do, which is to really support and elevate small makers. And so we carry a great bag of the Magner bag. He's in Athens. Casey's in Athens. And he has, in turn, shepherded a friend of his in making a new type of bag that she, Ashley makes. And so Ashley uh, now is also in Athens, and she's a small bag maker. And- it's this great kind of bucket shape and it oh, sits yeah. open in my car if I'm knitting in my car or next to my chair. And
0: and it's, now- it's fabric, the body's fabric, but the handle is leather and it's like a big thick it is. leather handle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's open. It's got some pockets on the inside. And it's, it's fairly deep, but not too deep. So I like that you can just knit right out of it mm-hmm. and, um, kind of use it as a, we have people who buy it and use it just as like, you know, they're going to the
0: farmer's market or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. I could see, cause you could put flowers in there. It's long. So you could put other yeah. things in there as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. So, um, Cadence, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. Yeah, this was great. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals.